I am Brad Levitt, host and founder of A Finer Touch Construction, and we're super excited to bring this amazing guest list to you of people that specialize in business, marketing, social media, entrepreneurship, and most of all, how to build a great company. AFT Construction is a local commercial and residential general contractor located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we are continuously seeking ways to bring value to our industry clients and network. You can subscribe to us on any major listening directory by searching the AFT Construction Podcast. And of course, a big thanks to our sponsor, Sub-Zero Group Southwest. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom in North Scottsdale quite often. In fact, it's just around the corner from my office, so it's the perfect place to meet with my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliances might look like in their home. The best part is that the consumers can interact with the products. They can turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your visions to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www dot subzero dash wolf dot com backslash showroom so today on the aft construction podcast we are very fortunate to have amy margolin with m&m lighting out of houston texas and amy and i we've followed each other on instagram for a long time and been very impressed with her design and her ability to grow her social media and we really dive into the value of social media as far as it's built her business and her company and how that's changed her client base as well. She provides a lot of good info, so definitely stay tuned for this episode because she's going to talk about how you can integrate social media to your business, find success through both avenues, and not only that, build your network with architects, designers, which is really important for her as a supplier. And just a little background on Amy. Amy joined her third-generation family business, M&M Lighting, in 2013 after graduating with an English degree from Columbia University, working as a manager for an international clothing retailer in Austin, Texas. She also took food photography for a national restaurant review guide, uh, Zagat, and spending time as a freelance celebrity stylist for red carpet events in Los Angeles. Combining her background in writing with her innate sense of style and relentless work ethic, she's working hard to bring M&M Lighting, a company with 56 employees that specializes in residential and commercial lighting, into the social media age and overturn the adage that the third generation ruins the family business. I love that intro. You're going to love this episode with Amy. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt, and today we have a good friend of mine, Amy Margolin, with us today, who's the co-owner of MM Lighting. So welcome, Amy. Hi, Brad. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we've been connected for a long time now on Instagram and huge fans. And, you know, I always compliment you because... You do such a good job with your Instagram page. And I mean, it's amazing. We're just talking off air how you've already built this thing to be so incredible. And what I, what I will say, Amy, which is really neat that I'll give you a compliment is that, you know, a lot of people when they're sharing photos, you know, um, you're really good about, you know, doing the research. And these are fixtures that you carry. Because I know when you posted my work, you're like, Brad, okay, what fixtures, you know, you already knew what they were. You didn't have to ask, but you're like, who's a designer? Who's a photographer? And so you're very good at crediting. And so, so I guess, why did you take that step and why is that important to you? Great question, Brad. And I also have to say, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. You are such a model as a business owner, a father, um, doing all the extracurricular stuff that you do and now giving back to the community by giving and sharing all this information that you do. Um, it's just, I feel very honored to be on here. You've have interviewed luminaries in their field. And I feel very much not like one of those people. So I, I appreciate that. And I'm very honored to be here. Well, thank you. Um, I'll say if I interrupt you, I mean, the one thing is, Amy, I mean, you say that it's funny because I know when we were messaging off air, um, 
you mentioned that, but I will say like you have such a good eye for social media. And I want to dive into that because I know a lot of people listening want to figure out how to better their social media content. And you're so good with this. And it's been great to network with you because I've learned a lot, you know, following you and I feel you're an inspiration there. So, you know, how does that work? I mean, I, cause I know that social media is a connector. Like that's the one value I see you're really connected and people really look up to you. And I feel that's because you've done it the right way. You're really good at crediting those around you. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate that. It, it takes a lot of work. Um, but I think because I knew we were going to have this conversation, I kind of looked back onto how our Instagram started to begin with. And it actually started in late February of 2016. And I started the Instagram account and I had one of my employees who was really creative. I had him run it. He loved taking pictures in our store. He loved um, doing weird graphics and fun things. And um, so he took off with it. That was again, February, 2016. And then I was looking back on my feed and I saw, okay, I really started taking over it early November of 2017. So this is technically like my third year Insta anniversary. Um, and my, my problem with outsourcing, having somebody else do it was I grew up where I was looking at bloggers, looking at um, the big shift that came with what happened before 2008, which was all like print media and radio advertisements. And then when I was just graduating college, everything shifted to journaling, um, blogging, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and that was the media that I was consuming. And I was looking at women who were in their homes, who were out on the streets wearing fashion, doing whatever, but in this very homegrown organic way, they were telling their story. And so I just had this gut feel that I wanted our Instagram account to be like telling a story on a very personal level. So I didn't want it to be um, just showing what was in our showroom. I didn't want to have like a voice that wasn't my own. I really wanted to kind of take over um, and do it my way as more of like a blogger and have people kind of identify with maybe one person running the account. Um, and it is a platform where you're sharing images. I don't own the rights to most of the images that we post um, I'm not involved with a lot of the projects that we post, although we've shifted to doing more of our own projects. Um, so to me, it's a paramount importance to give those people the credit um, because it's their work. I, I do see some really sex successful accounts that kind of bury the credit. And I'm like, how could you even, this isn't your work. Like you're a designer and you're posting another designer's you know, work. You, you can't bury that credit, it's so important. Um, so I feel like another thing that I love about the social media community is you're really lifting other people up. Um, and I try to see my account now as a vehicle for that designer, that photographer, that builder to get the credit that they deserved. Now that we have a bigger following, we kind of have a platform to really um, spread the word on who's doing what around the country. No, I love that you shared that because, you know, I look at it that way too. I mean, social media, it's funny because I think some people that are creators, um, and I do know this just being on social media as long as we have been, but Sometimes I get offended if someone posts their work and they're like, hey, that's not your work, which is funny because I find the opposite. I find it very flattering. So when like you post my work or other accounts, like it's like, okay, we're doing something that like speaks to other people. So I love that. And especially when you give credit, I think that's the biggest thing. I, you know, I know, you know, most people, as long as they're given credit, you know, that's the biggest thing. And what I love that you do, Amy, I mean, it's, it's telling the story. And I think that's what is the biggest growth. At least I would say that like, you're really good at creating a story and creating a, you know, now you've really gotten into video home tours. I've noticed that you're spending a lot of time on video. So what was the inspiration for that? I mean, why, why did you get into the video side? Well, um, I think if somebody were to ask me um, what social media advice do I have for them, one of the things is follow the algorithm. Um, at one point, if you were to scroll back on our account, which I don't advise you doing because it's a little bit scary <laughs> when I see some of those early posts, but um, I was really just looking because I, I'm a registered as a business and I think you probably get similar stats if you're registered as a creator, you can see um, how well your post does. And so at one point for the algorithm, it was, I could post a carousel post, which means a post with several images of a, of a home tour. It could be something from like a real estate site and those would do really well for me. And then at some point those carousel posts of just a home tour weren't doing so well. So I kind of looked around and I saw other accounts that were, you know, their growth was skyrocketing. And I was like, wow, it's because of these videos. Like I'm seeing them more on my feed. I'm seeing them more on Explore. Um, this person who had, 
less followers than me now has way more followers than me. I kind of try to think about it strategically. So follow the algorithm. If, if what you're seeing is working for other people, um, I, I try to adapt it as much as possible. And it seems very hard, by the way, because I am not a photographer. I am not a videographer. All of my stuff looks very homegrown. Um, I purposefully actually don't use a, um, what's the thing that you can hold up the uh, stabilizer? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I purposely don't use that because um, another interesting shift I had seen with the algorithm. So at one point those like static uh, photos from like a real estate site would do really well. But then I noticed I posted um, a crappy iPhone photo <laughs> of a home tour. Sorry, say that, but yes, um, really bad photos uh, from my iPhone of a house and it just blew up. I think that was my first post that did over um, 10,000 likes. Becky Owens, a few other people who are big reposted it. And so then I said, oh my gosh, you know, forget about using a professional photographer, even though I love professional photography. Um, but for my account, I can do my own images. Um, so at one point that did really well. And then again, the, the videos, um, I've seen professional videos. Sometimes they feel a little bit stilted, like you kind of, it's, it's um, just a little formal, but I think there's something about feeling you just snuck on the scene and you're right there. Um, at least from my account that I think that works and resonates with people. No, I love that. So. It's funny that you say that because I've seen, you know, some accounts which we both follow, you know, the before and afters are really good, right? Where right. it was funny because you've always been trained that your feed should look perfect and it should look great. And that before picture is like, so not, not, not something that looks great, but then what it's doing, it's creating the eyes because people want to swipe through that carousel, as you mentioned, and then they get to the after and they're like, wow, you see this transformation from A to B. And they'll put in bold print, you know, before and then after. And that's done really good for the algorithm. And then video, the the one thing I'll say is that at least the feedback I've been given and see with your account, you know, a lot of a lot of people, you know, they come on and it's an outlet. You know, social media is an outlet from, uh, you know, right now we're still doing, you know, all the election stuff and people want to stay out of politics. So, you know, they look at houses and, and maybe some of them will never have an opportunity to watch a house like that you tour where Amy, you're touring a house there in Houston and it's so much different than the architecture that we do here in Scottsdale and Phoenix. And so it's fun to see that video tour because I think that's what grasps people. You know, it's, it's your creating content that's attractive to people that they want to see because it's stuff they've never seen before and maybe we'll never see. And it gives them the inside scoop. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So, you know, and I've seen you take that over because video seems to be the new up and coming. I think, and I know that's why you touched on it. So from Instagram and you're very active in TikTok. You know, what other, how's TikTok been, how, you know, now that you're an expert okay. in Instagram, how's that going? I, I, I don't, I, I don't think I'm um, creative enough for TikTok, but I'm definitely using it to uh, be able to post videos with, with music, <laughs> but that's its own beast. I'm never dancing. Whatever <laughs> happens, I'm never dancing. So, you know, as far as TikTok, I mean, you, you know, are you using the same content on Instagram? Are you using both? to build together? Or are you doing separate videos? Currently, I'm really just using TikTok as a vehicle to post videos on Instagram. So I'll, I'll, I'll do the, the video with my iPhone and then I'll put it into TikTok to put the effect that I want on it, whether it's speeding something up or putting music to it um, or shortening it. I, I like the editing tools that uh, TikTok has, but I'm not, I'm not actually like actively trying to corner the TikTok market. Although I do see some accounts that I follow on Instagram who have done really, really well, I think. There's a farmhouse account who has millions of followers on TikTok and she's got a book deal and I get how, you know, you could really run with it. But for now, I'm just using it as a vehicle to post things on Instagram. So how I, you know, going back to the Instagram and you mentioned this, you alluded to, you know, having a business or create account. Do you have an experience with both? Do you recommend one or the other? I mean, what's the difference in your mind between the two? You know, um, I don't have experience with both, both you know, my partner, uh, Nolan Miller of Riverwood Building Company. He switched to a creator account on Instagram. Um, and for him, it allows him to do a lot of the music stuff, like in stories, um, when he posts a video, he can use music, whereas I, I can't. So I'm kind of skirting around the issue by doing TikTok. Um, but um, he's found a lot of success with that. Me as Eminem Lighting, I am, my whole reason for posting is because I am my family business. I don't consider myself a blogger, although I wanna kind of run it like a blogger. But, um, but it's very important for me to stay as a, a business account just for my own, you know, core. <laughs> no, for sure. And I'm sure you didn't realize that, you know, the success you'd have on Instagram, I'm sure you couldn't imagine that now I think we have it up here on the screen and you're at like 280,000 
followers, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, what would you achieve? I mean, especially lately, your growth has been really good. And I know a lot of it comes down to the good content and the video that you're putting out. And I think for anyone listening, do that. Go follow Amy at Eminem Lighting because you're going to see, a, you know, a lot of tips and tricks that you're just doing yourself. So, you know, are there other things you saw where you kind of hit that tipping point? Or do you credit that to just the amount of time you've put in? Uh, you know, a, a lot of it is a little bit of a mystery to me. I know we kind of um, grew a lot uh, when COVID started. And I think that was partially um, people being on their phones more. But um, I was at a wedding uh, the other night and somebody told me that this blogger with millions of followers had posted us and I had no clue, or maybe she, it might've just been in stories. I don't even know. And she was like, wow, that XYZ posted you. And I was like, oh really? I knew one Sunday I'd gotten like hundreds of followers and I just actually thousands of followers. And I didn't know why. And I was like, did somebody pay for followers for my account? Like we've never paid for followers. Like what is happening? And so I, I think um, for whatever reason, if somebody huge, you know, follows you, reposts you, I don't even see all that content um, because I, I try not to stare too much on people reposting me because I get a lot of kind of spammy stuff at the moment. But um, so I totally missed it. Uh, but I, I think stuff like that, that, that outreach from a community just really helps uh, push your account. And again, uh, when Instagram first, um, put out reels uh they were really pushing people who use reels i think one of our videos actually just reached 1.1 million views um which is not regular for my reels by the way that was a outlier but still <laughs> we'll take it um and so uh stuff like that has really kind of catapulted us for now i mean until the algorithm the algorithm seems slow for me today so who knows <laughs> it might all die but that's kind of the the game that is Instagram. What is a moving target? And I know, you know, for those listening, you know, our intent here is to give some advice, you know, on how you can upgrade or up your game as far as social media goes. And, and you mentioned this, Amy, is that Instagram's kind of funny that way that they reward you for using their features, right? So when Reels came out, you use it. And something that's funny, because as much time as I spend on social media, it's like, oh, I need to do Reels and I forget, and then I forget to upload to TikTok. But, you know, there's so many other, you know, we have to still pick and choose certain things, but Reels are advantageous because as you mentioned, they're rewarding you for using that because why they're combating TikTok. I mean, it's it's business 101, right? And then you talked about um, just that growth. You know, you're putting out good content. I think this is what is really important is that as you're putting out good content, well, that's gonna inspire bigger accounts to publish you and publish your profile, which then now increases your database and your followers. And that's how, you know, putting out good content and networking with some of these big accounts. And I know now you're connected with a lot of big accounts. So you're rewarded for that. So, I, you know, how much time are you putting in to social media? That's the question that anyone wants to know, right? So for you to have an account <laughs> and following and questions and everyone DMing you, you know, how much time are you typically spending? Because I know you're on it seven days a week, such as I am, but so how much time behind oh, the scenes? Oh, Brad, uh, a lady never tells. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. I, I don't... Um, I don't have a good way of quantifying it because I'm, it's sort of like the constant. Um, I wake up in the morning and I have it in my hands. I go to sleep at night and I kind of have it in my hand, but I, I try not to be glued to it necessarily when I'm working during the day. But, you know, the second a meeting starts going, you know, get, getting a little stale, I'll whip out my phone and I'll start um, Instagramming. So um, I'm sort of on it throughout, throughout the day um, pretty, pretty consistently. Um, I think I could do better at this point with, with engaging more and commenting more on new accounts. I think I've gotten into a little bit of a rut where um, there's a lot of people who I'm used to commenting on and, and engaging with their accounts, but I'm not really seeking new accounts to be friendly with. And I think that's so important. Another huge piece of advice I would give anybody who's starting off um, their Instagram accounts, or maybe they have an established one and they're just not seeing the growth that they would like. Um, it's social media for a reason. You have to be social. Um, and part of that is engaging with your friends. And I think part of that is engaging with um, new accounts, um, new people who are doing things, all of that stuff, um, liking, commenting. Uh, it not only allows people to see your, your name everywhere, but it, it truly does foster a bond with you and that person. And I think that at the core of it, you might think that Facebook and Instagram, they're the devil or whatever, they're evil. But I, I think that there's a core part to those to that company where they want to foster real genuine relationships. And um, I try to act as though, you know, that's important because it is. And and I think that helps no, with that, the algorithm too. Yeah, it's really good advice because, you know, I look at it from my side too. I mean, 
there's a lot of time I spend throughout the day, but, but I see the value because I've seen how it's affected my business. Like the time I've put into social media and engaging, right? You build this network of people that are, I don't want to say cheerleaders, but you know, there are silent salesmen. I use that term a lot. People that sell your brand, not on your payroll. Right. And that is important to understand that you build this community of, uh, people in your network where you can ask advice, you know, and questions. I know Nolan's reached out to me and we, we always mm -hmm. offer a lot of questions on construction. Hey, we're dealing with this, you know, this client issue, you know, this, and, and it's a quick way where you build a friendship and you can build that camaraderie even outside. And it's funny because, you know, just like having a conversation with someone, as you mentioned, be social, social media, you know, it's really easy to, um, you know, just post a picture and you just want it to go viral. You want people to engage, you want people to like it and save and forward that helps analytics you know, and comment. But if you're not doing that for their accounts, right, why are they going to reciprocate it? And I think that's important that it's, you're going to get back as much as you put into it. Sure. Um, I think another big thing that um, I've seen some actually accounts in Houston that I'm seeing are trying to push, they, they'll do really well with the social part. They'll comment and the like, and I see them everywhere. Now I see them on all the international accounts that I'm used to looking at, but then they fall into the thing where they're not pushing their own content ever. Like, so they'll post once every month or once every three weeks. And it's, it's definitely, it's a combination. Um, I like seeing what other people are doing and I have a little bit of a competitive edge. I'm not athletic at all, but if I had like <laughs> a sport that I could do well at, like I would push myself. Um, and for me right now that's Instagram. And I saw certain accounts that were just growing kind of an insane amount. And the other thing that they were doing that I wasn't was they were posting frequently. So my account annoys my mom to all get out because she's like, Amy, you just posted for the third time in one day. That is so annoying. I'm like, mom, it's not about you. Like, <laughs> it's about reach. And so the, so I just noticed some of these viral accounts, they were posting quite frequently and they, their numbers were surging. And the only way I could rationalize that is the more that they're posting and the more hashtags they're using, the more chance they have for their content to be seen to a wider audience. So being social is super important on social media and creating the media to, to, to have that growth is really important. Um, well, well, I love that you so, share that because the thing is, Amy, I mean, it's funny because one of the things that a lot of people say, they say, well, I, if I post too many times a day, I'm going to lose followers because they'll get annoyed, see my posts. But the, the funny thing is with Instagram, I mean, if you're posting only 5% of your users see it anyways, and if you're posting in the morning, that's a different audience to maybe at lunchtime and in the evening. So I'm sure there's some rhyme or reason, right, as to why you're posting multiple times a day. Right. And, and we do lose we do lose a huge amount of followers. I looked at Nolan's stats, Nolan, again, Riverwood Building Company versus mine, M&M Lighting, and he loses a lot less followers than I do. And <laughs> at first, like my feelings were kind of hurt, but then I was like, <laughs> but the, the benefits sort of outweigh it all. I'd rather. Um, but your growth is still going vertical and that's the thing. But you both post right. pretty frequently. I mean, he's posting a similar amount a day. Uh, yeah, I. I, yes, it's true. I think he's, he, he'll get busier where he, he'll go through spurts where he just doesn't care as much and he won't post for a day. Whereas me, like, like I have to post. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so he's a little bit more relaxed, I will say than I am. Um, so is yeah, strategy are trying to post frequently. Yeah. So is there strategy behind it? I mean, when you're posting, do you have a game plan, you know, like this is what I'm do tomorrow or in the morning, or is it just kind of what inspires you at the moment? Um, it's funny. One of the first people who got me, I think one of the reasons why I started doing my account so consistently was my friend, Carrie, who's a photographer and she was very regimented. She was like, you have to post it at this time in the morning. You have to plan it out on XYZ app. And, uh, she was just very programmatic about how she was running her account. I am the exact opposite. I, when I'm posting, I just came up with that post right before I published it. I'll try to write it out um, on another account and kind of look at how it looks. And then I'm, then it's out. Um, I can't, I can't plan ahead. <laughs> it just has to be in the moment um, for better or worse. There's a, there's more beautiful accounts out there. That's for sure. But that's how, that's how I'm running it. So with all the time, you, do you feel that you've received that value? Cause a lot of, you know, when I speak to people about social media, they're like, well, Brad, you know, it's the constant thing. I don't have time because they understand like, if you're to be successful, like you have to put in the time just as with anything, right? That's how you're going to, you know, perfect the craft or be better or, you know, solidify that marketing and branding for your firm. So have you seen the benefit? How has that affected your business there in Houston, your family business? You know, has it put you on the map? You know, how has that transpired? You know, we could do a lot better. I will say um, with monetizing stuff, because we do not sell out of Houston, not, not even outside of 
our own city. Um, lighting is kind of complicated. We will sell if we've got a customer who's doing a project in Arizona or in California or, or whatever, but we're not taking um, sales from people online at the moment. Um, so we could do a lot better with monetizing all the time, but I can't tell you that I, I still think it's been worth it because when I started working in our business, I guess it's about seven years ago. And the clientele who walked into our store was just, it's like night and day to who walks in there now. It was people who had built their first home using M&M lighting in 1971. And they were coming back for like a, a little old halogen light bulb and people with walkers. I, it was kind of depressing actually to me. I was like, gosh, like I'm glad we're still in business, but like our clientele is kind of going to be, going to be dying off. Like, what's <laughs> happening what did I get myself into um and now when I walk out onto the showroom floor on any given day there are people who are my age people who kind of have a similar aesthetic to me I can just tell by what they're wearing um if I stop someone and say do you need help with anything they're like oh I follow you on Instagram um I was at an art event even two years ago and a adorable couple came up to me and they said I just have to say Amy we follow you on Instagram and you weren't there last Saturday, but your dad helped me pick out a light for our breakfast room. I was like, yes, like that is so amazing that somebody like locally would choose to go to M&M Lighting versus a Wayfair versus um, a big box store, Crate and Barrel, that they would come to us and look for a light because they followed us on Instagram. Um, and more in that, those sales are just continuing, um, having that local business, which is makes me really happy. Well, what I like about that, and, and I can relate because I see that you know, there, there are a lot of negatives to social media, which we understand. I mean, there's there's a lot out there. And and one thing that's tough is, you know, some people could become influencers and maybe they're not credible. And you do have those instances. But I'd say in general, I'd say a majority, you know, someone such as yourself, I mean, that's spending a lot of time on social media and building a brand and building a community and you have a product and you have a company behind you. Well, you're out there. You're in the public eye. Like you're on social media. And so you're not going to like run from you know, maybe fixtures that aren't performing, like you're going to step up to the plate and take care of it. You're going to have, be good at customer service and customer savvy. And so being out there in front, it kind of puts a little bit more pressure on you to do the right thing. And I think based on the feedback I get from the community is I'm sure that a lot of those people that follow you on social media there in Houston, they look, hey, Amy's a known entity. Eminem Lighting's a known entity. They're here. This is what they're doing. Here's their aesthetic. Here's their design. And so their product is similar. And I know you rep represent a lot of good brands out there. And so I'm sure there's some confidence that the buyer has because you're so out there and present, you know, as, as far as a public person. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it. Now the, the biggest pressure I think on, on us, not, not only to do what's right, but to kind of change the physical experience of being in our store to kind of match what's online. Um, our show was redone about 10 years ago, right before I came on board. So it's still, it's, it's evolving and it actually it's changed a lot even in the past few months. So I'm excited to kind of continue that more retail process um, or even just showroom process um, and kind of expand on that and make it more, um, more how I'd like to see it. So we're working on that. See, I love that exciting. because again, social media right now, you're up there, you have this public persona, so you have to have the experience be even better, right? There's some, people are coming in and a lot of pressure. Yeah. That's it's a, um, <laughs> so, yeah, a struggle. Yeah, but not really a struggle. We we uh, we've been fortunate. Um, during COVID, we were kind of deemed an essential business. So instead of letting go of people or um, just putting people on hold, we actually hired more people. So we are really trying to um, deliver on all fronts and have that customer service side and be able to manage our showroom and have it look presentable. And that's another actually this isn't a question I don't think you're going to ask me or anything, but I don't know if I would have seen the value of using a local lighting showroom, having not been in the business, but having gone through this tough time, this is kind of the first downturn I've seen um, in the world while I was working for this business. My business is, it is incredible. Like we sell some of the biggest lines and we've talked to their um, ownership and they're like, oh, we let go of X, Y people, you know, during the downturn and or during when COVID first hit and they were really kind of shrinking their businesses. Whereas as a local family run business, we were taking care of all of our employees. Um, all of them were fully covered when they weren't working. 
um, it just gives me a lot of pride. Um, and I, I wish you could somehow translate that to the people who are coming in. Like when you shop from us, we're gonna give you a great price. It might not be quite as low as something on Wayfair, but most of them will match anything. Um, but you're also kind of really helping your community. We are, we run ourselves not like a huge corporation. We run our business like it's our family. So for better or worse, <laughs> but that stability and, and knowing that we provide for people in that way was like really heartwarming um, to know as having experienced it for the first time myself. So if anything else, support small business is what I'm hearing. And what I love, Amy, and I'm going to touch on this because um, this is something that's really important to me. And I've you've kind of set the stage because one thing that we could get into is how social media or not social media, but I'd say online shopping, you know, whether it be Amazon or Wayfair has affected your business, right? And what's interesting, and I'll give my perspective. So it's funny because when I'm working with clients and we're going through the lighting package, you know, the lighting fixtures, or we're going through the plumbing fixtures, you know, one of the common questions is, well, Brad, this is X dollars, but I can go find it online, you know, through this other website, you know, and save 20 bucks or whatever maybe, or maybe sometimes it's more, you know, a substantial amount where, it, you know, engages the conversation. And what I explained to him is that, you know, I've made the mistake in my career in the past where, you know, uh, you know, we've bought a well-known brand plumbing fixture. You know, I buy it through my local supplier, family owned company, similar as you. So there's some customer service there. There's handling, there's warranty. There's a lot of things that I'm going to get from you going to Amy, as opposed to online where I'm just buying it off a shelf and the parts aren't all there or they're damaged or they're, there's issues. And so what the client doesn't understand is that I try to explain to him, look, if we're buying from a certified manufacturer from a representative and the plumber comes out and they install this fixture and there's an issue with it, let's say that the faucet's not working, there's a leak, there's damage. Not only is the manufacturer going to, or the supply house going to take it back and put a new one, but they'll help cover the labor for the plumber to go back, trip charge, take it apart, put it back in. Right. Whereas if you buy it on Amazon and, and I have this personal experience doing a remodel many years ago in my career where the plumber comes out, he puts in this fixture from Amazon. Well, it doesn't work. And so now the client had to pay the plumber to take it apart, ship it back to Amazon on their own, get a new one, pay the plumber to come back and put it in and it ended up cost them a lot more money. And that's why I try to explain to clients that, you know, you have to look at the service and not only are you employing a local business, but even more importantly, there's a value there. Right. And that's the biggest thing is to sell the customer the value that you bring. And I'm sure this is like something you do with on a daily basis. Clients coming in saying, Amy, you're charging me, you know, a thousand dollars for this fixture. Well, I can find it for $940, you know, on online. It's true. I mean, it's, it's, it, it worries me because I, I know we need to be online to just be part of the future. Right. Um, we need to sell online. Um, but it's, it's those issues of service when you're dealing with something that's a little bit more, it's not like a blouse. It's not like a pair of socks. Um, Lighting is it, like plumbing. Plumbing is super complicated and lighting is right up there with it. Um, we deliver these gorgeous integrated LED pendants to a designer who had specified them. And now one of the LEDs is completely out. I had them call my best technical electrician who could look at it and say, okay, you pinched the wire here. Like you just need to redo this in order to get the fixture to work again. It, we didn't need to replace the fixture. We didn't need to take back the fixture. Something just needed to be adjusted. I also delivered a whole package of lights to a well-known builder in town. But I guess had a new, um, a new what's the I'm forgetting the installer, term. not a subcontractor, a or new su um, subcontractor installer. Uh, a new guy running the project. What's the oh, word? superintendent, project manager. Yeah, oh, superintendent. superintendent. Yeah, yes, perfect. New superintendent on this job, and all the fixtures were hung wonky there was an issue with almost every single one of them but all they needed was a little bit of adjusting and luckily it was a project very close by to the store but i had two of our guys the salesman and one of our guys who is uh, good in our shop just tweak just everything everything just needed like a little bit of an, a zhuzh to like get it to sit straight or get it to align with the windows and then it was fine um, but issues like that, I can't imagine taking back, you know, three fixtures in a house where you sold things at a low markup because it's a trade, uh, you know, account and then have to take them back when they weren't really defective. I mean, a lot of those install things are just really tricky with lighting. Um, so I, I don't know how companies can do it well online, but I need, a, I need to figure the answer to that out soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's but funny yeah, you say that. that because I mean, it's very complicated. I mean, plumbing's that way, lighting's that way. And especially on some of these chandeliers, I know some of the ones we install with, you know, they're going to be a thousand components, right? You know, crystals and other things. And so, 
you know, going to a known source where I know, hey, if I'm ordering through Eminem Lighting and I'm going to call and Amy picks up the phone, well, there's value there, right? As opposed to a 1-800 number. And I don't know who I'm talking to or if they're going to service it or not. And so I'm sure that's a way um, that you compact or, or uh, at least work through that process of, of resolving those concerns with the online shopping, you know, which is which is so tough. And so, you know, going back to the social media and just application to your company, I mean, how's that affected? Because I'm sure in Houston, it's very similar to me in Scottsdale, where my market is very designer architect driven as well, you know, builder in addition to that. And so what ends up happening is, is, you know, the relationship you have with designers in your market, with architects in your market that are going to spec your product, that know your customer service, that know your family-owned company. And so that's going to assist. So how is social media like, giving you a leg up or assisted with those relationships over the years now, the last three years that you've been very active? Yeah. Um, I think before I came on board at the company, not even with social media, um, I, I feel like we were the underdog when it came to dealing with designers and builders. We had a few people on staff who had their set, you know, really big designers and builders who they always worked with, but we weren't good at kind of uh, fishing for new business. And um, because I do go uh, out on Sundays to homes and I'm trying to um, show people's work, even if I didn't do the job, um, it's really gotten us out there. People are so grateful that their work was shown to, you know, 100,000 followers or 200,000 followers or whatever it is. Um, so now people, people want to come to me because they, they're really grateful. Um, so it's just a whole new ball game of, of marketing. Um, and it, and it's, it's been really helpful. I, I, I feel like we're very busy now with just like the Instagram business from the design, um, community and from the, um, architects in town. So, well, I think that's giving you a yeah. leg up. I mean, you inspired me. I didn't even think about that. How? because of the platform you've built, you know, 280,000 followers and because you're so well known in the community and nationally, well, if you're going out for a real estate tour or home tour of a home just finished, maybe it's a spec home and there's a designer and architect and now you're in there, you're videoing that product, you're tagging them, giving them the credit and they're saying, whoa, Amy M&M Lighting and whether they have a relationship or not, well, that's going to build because you're bringing a value, right? You're coming in and you're actually sure. giving them benefits. So they're going to see that. So I'm sure that's assisted as well in your collaboration and friendship with them. Yes, we, it's a, it's, we don't explicitly say that that's a, <laughs> why you should be working with us, but that's for sure an added, an added value to um, doing business with us. <laughs> well, it's funny, yeah. you know, you know, I'll apply it to the contractor side. So I've had trade partners come up to me and it's interesting without specifying, but they've been adamant. They're like, Brad, you know, when, when I've worked with you, like, you know, we try to do the right thing. We're out there, you know, pay them on time and take care of them and have those good relationships, which is an important part of our business, you know, and protection for our clients. But more importantly, when I tag them on social media, like I had one of my excavators, he's like, Brad, you tagged me and I had 10 GCs that follow you reach out and get my info, right? And so he saw his business grow where, you know, other my peers in town that follow us. And so there's value to them. And I think that's, it's the value commodity, right? The more you bring value to people, whether you're doing that as you're doing, Amy, where you're going in and you're meeting these designers and architects and bringing value because you're showcasing them on your platform. Well, that's going to build your business in the end. And yeah, it's going to cost you time and it's going to cost you effort and focus to do this, but there'll be a payoff and it may not be in a week from now, maybe in a year from now, but it's not like you're doing it because of that. It just continues to build that, that network. Yeah, I, I will say it's been a very um, natural and organic process. It hasn't been like a, we're going to go after this builder and go to this open house. It's, it's, it's been a really nice um, organic flow to how it's how it's happening which is awesome well it's funny because i shortcut and i've spoken about this before but for me being you know younger when i started my company and you know now we've been able to be seasoned a little bit more with some of our staff and, and network there but you know there were some architects and designers in town that wouldn't give me the time of day but the minute i could start um collaborating with them through social media and supporting them and engaging you know then that relationship was built and i've seen that you know, benefit our business. And, and going back to earlier in the conversation, Amy, you had talked about, you know, in the beginning, there was a lot of inspiration and now you're getting very involved with your own projects, right? You're working with design firms and architects and showcasing your product. So how, you know, one of the challenges I think for any supplier or any subcontractor trade partner is you do all this work, you're spending time with the client, you're, you know, getting within budget, you're supplying the product, making sure it's there on time, it gets installed, you know, but trying to coordinate the photography at the end is just like a nightmare, you know, when it's furnished. So how are you managing that process? Well, it's, it's funny. I mean, because it's not our 
I feel like it's my baby if I'm working on a project, but because the ultimate project isn't our baby, it's, we're not the builder, we aren't the designer. Um, it's the, the professional photography is always up to the people who, whose project it really is. Um, but I'm, tr it's, it's, it's something I actually still need to kind of work out if we do do your job, like how do I actually follow up and make sure like I can go there to take my own footage or make sure I contact the photographer and, and you know, ask for rights for the images. Um, but no, that's tough. I, I think if I ask any single like sale or coworker on my team, like, did you ever see that product you did? Like, did you ever see it finish? 95% of the time it's no, we didn't walk the job when it was done. So my brother does restaurant lighting for us and more like kind of light commercial work. And he's done some really cool projects in town. And I'm like, Drew, his name is Andrew. Did, did you like ever see how that like really cool two inch recess light, you know, turned out with the huge like light output that was really exciting. You're like, no, no, I never got to see that. I never got to see the project. I'm like, oh my God, we need to like video this stuff. We need to take photos. Um, but uh, it's hard to kind of keep track of it all. We, we, yeah, we need to get better at that. Um, well, it's hard. We I don't mean, actually contract the, the photographer. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a challenge because in our case, it's very similar. You know, our suppliers and vendors, like they, you know, they're not bringing in their own photography because it's too hard to coordinate. I mean, you're installing something that may not be finished for a couple months and then it has to get furnished. And, you know, as I know, building, you know, I'll finish a house and, you know, especially now with COVID furniture's not in, we're waiting on, mm -hmm. you know, sofas and lounges and chairs and whatever else. And so I may not photograph something for nine months after it's done. And by then, I mean, that's a year later after your product's been in. And so it's hard to manage that. And what I've seen, you know, one thing that I do like that our photographer does is they he'll come to me and say, okay, Brad, before we photograph this, you know, who are the list of all the vendors, you know, and do they want to participate? Because is there maybe a, a certain chandelier you installed, Amy, or a certain plumbing fixture or a piece of furniture that the designer had that I need to showcase in a different light and really spend time on that photography. And I think that's important because, you know, if we can do that as builders, and bring value to our trade partners, right? That's going to assist you because now Amy knows, oh, they're photographing this. Yes, I want to get A, B, and C because I really need that for my portfolio. That's that's brilliant that your photographer does that. Yeah, no, that's that's so smart. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's it's nice of him to do that. And then I think he catches the the vision of social media too. He's been on there, well, both of them, and, and they see the value there, you know. You know, so going back to your side, Amy, I mean, you have, I want to get into your background a little bit. And before we do that, you know, is there a certain architectural style that suits you? Like, what's your favorite? I know you post a lot of amazing um, product and designs that speak to many of us, but what's your personal favorite? Oh, man, Brad, that's a tough question. Um, I I like transitional. I think our, our market, we happen to be in the center of town um, in Houston proper. So a lot of the homes are kind of transitional around us. Um, but if I were like actually building house, I see everything that my boyfriend posts, Nolan uh, puts these gorgeous like Southern houses from like Birmingham. I don't know where in Birmingham this is, <laughs> but I want to visit it um, with just gorgeous, huge windows. But I, I would say for me personally, it's transitional always. Yeah, I think I can relate. But you know, we're doing a couple of transitional homes and I get asked that question a lot. I think as a builder, you know, I get asked, what I like, and it's funny from a build aspect, I do like the modern cause it's very complicated and very technical and it's very hard to execute. So I like that challenge, but having a lot of kids that I do transitional is a little bit better for the wear and tear. And it's, you know, there's some elements to it that I really like that are timeless. Um, you know, so I guess you, you have this amazing eye, Amy, you know, I've complimented you on that because you've done such a great job. I mean, you see good architecture, good design. It speaks to you, you put it out there and it does really well because you know, do you feel that there is a background there? Because I know you're not an interior designer. So how, you know, how has that evolved? Well, I, I think I've always loved like fashion and, and design related things. So it's kind of not out of the ordinary. If you were to know like eight-year-old Amy, how I'm, I'm old now, but um, I'm in my mid thirties, but People, I'm pretty much the same. I still, I love to dress up. I love to style things in my own house. Um, so like that wasn't so much of a big departure, but um, I think for Instagram, there is a bit of like a, a separation. I, I try to post what I think is digestible for people. If I were to post what I really loved, I mean, it would be way too quirky and specific. I, I definitely try to kind of figure out what will appeal to, to everybody. Um, while still having it be refined or what I think is cool. 
Um, but for me, Instagram isn't like a, oh, I'm just posting what Amy likes. It's definitely thinking about, okay, farmhouse trends, it's like kind of casual living, um, stuff with shiplap, like that does really well. And I think it's beautiful too. Um, but I definitely try to post things that I think will resonate with, with a greater audience than just maybe my one little niche of, you know, I went to a certain school and I led a certain life. So I might like a little quirkier stuff. No, I don't want to really post that. I want to post again, things that resonate with it, with a greater audience. Well, it's good. You can identify that. I think that's really important because you understand your style. You understand what speaks to volumes. So there's a separation there, you know, but your background. So, you know, growing up family business, you know, you decide to go to Columbia, you go study and then you're styling celebrities. So how was that transition? I mean, you alluded to that, I guess, being young, young girl in the fashion. So was that always your passion? Well, no, timing is, timing is everything. Um, when I went to school, um, I graduated in 2008 which was a terrible time in the economy. Um, and not only did I graduate in 2008, I graduated with an English degree, which was like <laughs> the worst possible thing I could have done because at that time in New York, I mean, every single uh, publishing house was like closing its doors. Um, businesses were going out left and right. And I did realize like, if you did want to get into any of those fields, you would get paid nothing to do them. Like you had to be um, supplied with money from, I don't know who to, <laughs> to live in New York city and have a, publishing job. Um, but when I was in college, my two big internship choices were Gucci or the New Yorker. And I chose the New Yorker um, and had a great experience. But again, when I graduated, there was just no chance of me doing anything in that field. I originally wanted to go to grad school um, and maybe even become an English professor. But again, I knew I wasn't going to be guaranteed a job. So I did not take that route. And I'd always loved fashion. And I wanted to see what it'd be like to live on the West Coast. So um, I was fortunate enough to be able, I actually did a brief stint in Austin where I worked in retail um, in the corporate world, which was actually really interesting to go from that to a family run business. Um, and after that, I went to LA and styled celebrities. Again, very freelance, um, got in kind of just as an assistant, being told I wasn't going to get paid at first. But as soon as people realized that you were good at what you did and that you took your job seriously and that you had good attention to detail, I started getting jobs and paid really quickly um, and was doing really well. Um, but again, timing is everything. It had been a few years. I was working seven days a week on the weekends. A lot of what I was doing was red carpet stuff. And uh, my parents were building their first like house that they had ever like kind of built together. And I was like, you know what? One day I want to be able to build a house. <laughs> and the way I'm going, like there's no stability ever. Um, so I called my dad and I was like, you know what, dad, you never made me work in the store growing up. I have no idea what you do day in, day out, but would you consider giving me a job? My lease is up next month. And it took him 24 hours, mind you, before he said yes. But he called me back the next day and he was like, okay, all right, <laughs> you can try this. So I was going to ask, because, you know, how, how you make that transition, because I mean, you're, you know, you're, it, I, I think life's that way in a lot. You're like, we, we have goals and we have you know, a vision of where we're going to be, but you know, there's detours, right. And there's sidetracks and, and for someone who's driven such as yourself, you're going to make the best of that. And here you are in LA, you're following a passion. Now you're working, but as you mentioned, you want some, some more stability. So I was wondering how that transition went to say, okay, I'm leaving California, headed back, back to Texas. It, it was not, I have to say it was not easy. Um, working in, in Austin, I remember encountering a few people who had come to live in Texas from India. And I've traveled to India before. And I would always ask them, like, is this culture shock to be living in Texas? And I feel like there was a few grad students, because Austin is a college town. Um, and they'd be like, oh, no, it's no big deal. No big, like, it's not, no big thing. The culture shock for me from going from LA to like back to Houston was like, it took me a full year of like mourning <laughs> <laughs> oh, from that great weather, the great restaurants, the great everything. I, I loved LA. If I'd had family there I would have tried to stay I'm sure but um yeah it was a it was a big transition for sure but one that is totally worth it there's nothing like um the the stress the joys all the stuff that comes from um owning a business it's um pretty incredible so now that you move into the family business and you're coming in and you're looking to build an M&M lighting product and store and um you know location you've done that through social media you've done a great job we talked about you know what's something about lighting I guess that you didn't know you've learned, you know, about the lighting industry? Oh dear. Um, that's a good question. I, I, I don't think I realized how small it was. I mean, now, um, 
there are a lot of different ways to get lighting. A lot of um, big box stores are creating lighting, not only like the Home Depots, but also like the Crate and Barrels, Pottery Barns um, for decorative lighting. Um, local people are making lighting all the time. So now there's, there are a lot of avenues for it, but um, I, it really is a small, small industry. The, the true lighting showrooms who can do and talk well about, you know, under cabinet lighting, recessed lighting, like commercial lighting, um, office building lighting, um, in addition to like the decorative and the pretty stuff, dimmers, bulbs, LED technology. Um, it's such a niche, small industry. Um, and a lot of it is family owned. A lot of the lighting showrooms around uh, the country and Canada are family run, family owned. And a lot of the manufacturers originally were family owned. Now they're getting sold off um, piece by piece, but um, yeah, very small industry. Yeah, I've seen that here. I mean, here we have a lot of local family, you know, lighting stores as well, such as yourself. And I think what's really tough is, you know, when you think about all the products that are out there and the demand and technology, I mean, you think all the automation, Crestron and Lutron and how that impacts everything you're doing. And so, you know, from your side, are you working with a lot of lighting architects? Are you doing lighting design? You know, how does that relationship from that side of it? It's complicated. There's a lot of weird ways you can get an order. Um, we, we do not do lighting design. We, there are lighting designers in town who we refer people to. Um, because we've been in the industry for so long, um, a lot of architects, if they're specifying something, there's only a few places you can go and one of them happens to be us. Um, so, uh, and speak to that because I think one of the reasons that people don't understand that when, as you get into some of these more complicated homes and lighting designs, right? Lighting is everything. It's funny. You know, I get very excited about lighting in our projects because I know the clients that are willing to invest in lighting design. And as you mentioned, you know, under cabinet lighting and accent lighting and, um, you know, can lighting. I mean, th there's so many different things with art lights and other things that make such a big impact to the house. Uh, agreed. And I think one of our, sh I, my dad has kind of been adamant about us not doing lighting design, but I really think we should um, do more and really have certain people that we champion and, and educate them to um, get a next level of certification. Because so many times there will be this um, miscommunication or, or just lack of communication between the architect who's specifying something, the builder and the homeowner, or the, not even the homeowner, but the person who's paying the bills, whether it's a, you know, a restaurant or, um, yeah, the client, space. the end client, whoever it is. Yep. The client, exactly. And the architect will have specified this really cool made in Germany thing. And, you know, it's got a 15 week lead time and it costs $50,000. Mm. <laughs> and then, um, uh, it will be our job to break that, that, budget to the client and they're like what in the world just happened <laughs> like this is not what we want and so it it ends up being it falls on our shoulders a lot of time to ve things as we call it value engineer things and um, to get a close approximation to what the architect had in mind and what the customer or client wants um so it, it gets complicated it gets tricky <laughs> oh it's really tricky and and the funny thing is i mean you mentioned that that if they're not open, transparent, and there's not that education, yeah, pricing can go out of control really quick, right? The lighting's the jewelry of the home, so it can add up really fast with some of the fixtures. And then, you know, not having that education is tough on the budget. And, you know, being that lighting fixtures is typically towards the end of the budget line or end of the project, you know, you have to work within those confines, and hopefully there's enough left for the most important part of the house. And But I've seen how good lighting, you know, people that invest in good lighting, you know, even on exterior landscape lighting and you know, as you're coming into the home and if you have trim work or art or different furniture pieces, pieces, as you mentioned, you know, that you can accent. I mean, there's so much value in that, you know, having good lighting design. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yes, so, yeah. So how do you stay current? I guess, you know, there's a lot of manufacturers, right? There's a lot of new products. You know, everything's gone to LED, as we know, and there's a lot of different um, value to having that. And then, of course, we mentioned, you know, a lot of technology with Lutron and some of these other automations. So I guess, how does that continue in education for new products, new vendors, you know, to kind of stay in front of everything? Mm -hmm. it, it sort of varies from manufacturer to manufacturer. Um, in the case of something like Lutron, like they can take us to their experience center and kind of give us extra training and they can give the electricians who rely on in the field, um, they can give them that training as well. Um, but on the decorative side of things, we are really fortunate that the, I don't, 
know if you can quote me on this, but I think the biggest residential like lighting market happens to be in Dallas twice a year. Um, it's on the most cutting edge. There are definitely more cutting edge uh, markets out there. Um, I know there's ICFS in New York, which a, a lighting colleague once told me I needed to go to. It's the International Contemporary Furniture Fair, apparently has great lighting. Um, there's a more um, technical one in Las Vegas called Light Fair. But for us, we really go to the Dallas Market Center um, in the winter and in the summer. And they kind of have all of a, a, a large majority of the manufacturers we buy from are there. They're showing us their new decorative products. They're showing us their new technology, whether it's, you know, warmed in LED or the latest in, you know, a weird gadget. Like we learn about that at Dallas. So, well, I think I've been there too. A long time ago, I've, I've only been to Dallas one time and it's for a little convention. It's actually at the lighting. I think you have to be a designer or, or architect or builder to get in. And then they have a lot of these different showrooms up there. Yep, exactly. You have to have a trade or a, you have to, yeah, it's a lot of forms to be able to, to go in, but it's really fun. It's really cool. And I'm kind of nervous because we weren't able to go um, this past summer, but I'm going to try to go in January. So we'll see. See how everything goes with COVID. So how has COVID affected? I mean, you said your business has been very blessed. You know, you've been able to hire and not have to lay off and you've grown your business, which is amazing. You know, how has that affected inventory and managing oh. from suppliers? Because, you know, material shortages and products. I mean, that seems to be the issue. Lead times. Yeah, all of that. Um, we've been lucky. Uh, so we've been open. Um, and if a customer did want to do something, you know, virtually on their phone we can we can consult with them that way but um the biggest impact i've seen so far has really just been the supply chain and how slow it has been to get certain things we've had back order dates on certain products for way too many months now um but we're still chugging along so so how do you see. deal with that with the customers because i'm sure if you have someone like me calling you as a builder amy where's my life fixture like you've promised and it's still back ordered i mean that, that, that's such a hard thing to navigate, right? As you know, because you're at the mercy of your suppliers. Right. It's, it's about managing those expectations. If I'm ever training somebody, it's always when you are showing somebody like the specifications for something, you have to tell them what the lead time is. And you have to tell them that if the lead time isn't confirmed by the manufacturer, it's subject to change. So um, also staying on top of that. And after, you know, a month being able to call in with that manufacturer, see what the updates are on the product. And if it's bad news, being able to convey that to the customer and say, you know what, look, it was 45 days out, but it's still 45 days out, 30 days later. So <laughs> we maybe need to reselect, um, but it's, it's definitely an issue. Um, yeah, it is. Cause it's funny. I mean, we had some custom fixtures on a project we just did and they're coming from overseas. And so we're dealing with an unknown freight. Cause they said it's open-ended. We're guessing it's this oh, yeah. based on historical data, but we're not totally sure. And then, they're saying it's, you know, 14 weeks, but at the same time, it could be 24 weeks. I mean, it's coming from Europe, so they have different regulations in COVID and then trying to get shipping and limited capacity. And so I think most of us are having that conversation. It's important to stay in front of it. I learned the hard way by not staying in front of it, but that's always a tough thing to make sure that you're communicating properly with all the customers. And it takes a lot of time too. I think when we're hiring people, I'm like, okay, well, you're selling, but you're also like managing a lot of details and stuff isn't cut and dry and easy. It's not like it's on the shelf and it just, we just have to like put it in somebody's hands. It's, it's a process. <laughs> well, and I think that you alluded to that already in the conversation where, you know, people are thinking, Hey, I'm just going to order something off this online website, you know, and it's going to come to my house and Kumbaya, we're good to go. We put it up, but there's complications in the install and there could be issues with your installer and your electrician. And, and, and so that's where there's some technical side to this that, you know, and having that communication understanding is a great way to train you know, your staff. So, which is hard, which is hard. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as a family business, you have a passion and, and there's this difference. So, you know, really appreciate making time, Amy. So what's upside, like what's upcoming, exciting for you, you know, here in the near future? Oh, um, you know, um, uh, I am working on rebranding and relaunching our website and I'm very excited about that. Nothing crazy in the works, but, um, we needed a, a little refresh on those. So that's, that's what's coming up. That always takes so much time. It's funny, you know, the one thing I do like about social media and why I'm a bit a big advocate because it's a working website, right? You can have showcase your latest product and projects and kind of give that journal of everything you're doing. But the website is super important because that back end side where people are visiting and, you know, the history and the SEO and all that. And so it has to be current, which 
it seems like even after a year doing your website right that you already have to do updates yep 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 it's crazy it's i don't know how you do it with with a wife and kids and all and tons of employees like i feel like it's it's a lot to have on your plate with just like none of those things <laughs> <laughs> so i'm always an eye i know you had um shane mcgee of um Judy and McGee on, and it's just those, those parents who are doing it all. It's just, I'm just so in awe of you guys. Well, thank you. And it's, Ashley Stark is just amazing. I know, you know, it's complicated, but you know, you surround yourself with good people. I'm sure Ashley would say that. I'm sure Shay would say that as well, you know, and even speaking with them, they've alluded to that. And you know, you're good as those around you. Like, I can't take all the credit because my wife's amazing. And then, you know, my, um, my partners and employees, right? They're just amazing. Like, they, they believe in it. And so, you know, I love that. So I have to give credit to them. But, um, you know, I, in closing, Amy, I mean, we've spoken about some of your social media. So where can our listeners find you? They can find us at MM Lighting on Instagram. Uh, we are M&M Lighting in real life. And we have a website, mmlighting.com. Awesome. Well, thank you for making time today, Amy. All right. Thank you, Brad. So appreciate it. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.